Hello, my knowledge thirsty beauties, and welcome to another episode of DP to the Brain. I am DP, and with me, another exciting guest to feed your frontal cortex. We have a veteran of the education industry, um, and also, more importantly, my aunt, Miss Carrie Gregory. Give us, uh, give, it, give us the rundown. Who are you? What you about? All right. Well, first and foremost, I'm a proud aunt of DP. Um, I am 18 teaching days away from finishing my 25th year in education. I have been in three buildings, multiple administrators, many superintendents. I have been in first grade now, I believe, 18 years and did a couple of other things before that. I teach in one of the largest districts in the Cincinnati area. Um, we have a very high transiency and we also have a very high uh, socioeconomic struggling population. Hmm. And I think that'd be a good place for us to get into it because I, I saw a statistic somewhere that uh, up to 70% of the academic outcomes are determined outside of the classroom. Do you think that's an accurate statement? I don't know if I would quote percentages, but I know the difference that I've seen through my entire career is the more support and stability at home, mentally, socially, um, not, not necessarily economically, that doesn't, that doesn't sure, you know, sure. make it or break it. Um, but yeah, there, there's a huge difference, the way school is valued in the home or, or quite frankly, not valued. Yeah, well, and then I think you kind of start touching in some cases onto uh, the pyramid of needs where it's difficult for a student to, fit, to uh, you know, focus on education if, you know, in some cases they might not know if they have food when they get home or, you know, this or that. If they, you know, if they don't have a stable, and it's honestly, it's similar to um, really strong parents in like sports or whatever, like you're on the field, but you can't focus because all you're thinking about is so crazy mom on the sideline. <laughs> something like, and then, then for anyone wondering, no, I'm not trying to make an allusion to my mother. She was more than, she was more than restrained on the sideline. Oh, that. well, her sister was not. So it's all good. <laughs> well, actually kind of funny that you mentioned that because you're not, you know, you're not just a teacher, you're also a mother. I am a mother. And um, your daughter is is now in college. Um, but so you be, you began teaching before she was born, correct? Correct. My math is correct there. Good job, um, first grade. <laughs> yes. So how do you, do you think that having a daughter and having her go through her own academic um, journey do you think that changed or affected how you taught or, at all? And if so, how? Um, absolutely it did because I saw the effects on the student in the home setting. But more importantly, I think it changed how I interacted with parents and how I communicated with them. Um, for example, I, very quickly after she started school, I realized at the beginning of the first, you know, the first week or two of school, a, a positive phone call must be made. Because if you stop, you know, it's kind of a sales pitch, positive, negative, positive. If you call with a positive, I'm so glad, let's meet, let's greet. Then if you have to call with a problem or, a, you know, something that's not working well for their child, you have that relationship. Mm -hmm. But I definitely, it was eye-opening um, when she started kindergarten and seeing it from the other side. Because your instinct as mama bear is to react and then also seeing you know, it's it, what your kid t comes home and tells you is not always the truth. 
and I believe the opposite. I won't believe what they tell me if, so it's, it's a very fine line, but yeah, it was definitely eye-opening to have a kiddo in public schools. And um, you, didn't, you never got to teach her? Oh, as a teacher? Absolutely. Um, you realize that you can't teach them if they're not ready to teach. You realize you can't teach them if their social, emotional, um, growling bellies aren't fed first. It kind of takes it more from um, the academic nature to the human nature, I think. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. Um, and sticking a bit on food, I promise it's not because I'm hungry. Um, nutrition in schools, I, you know, there was the much, um, the much controversial Michelle Obama school nutrition program and um, the strong response there was to it. That's not necessarily what we need to discuss, but uh, in general, how do you, do you feel like nutrition in schools is in a good place? I mean, obviously it could be, everything can improve, but how, how far do we need to go? And, or I guess, how important do you think nutrition in school lunches are? I think, well, we also serve breakfast to all of our kids. They come into breakfast and lunch. Um, and I think it, especially that breakfast piece, if they've come in hungry your whole day, they're not going to be able to learn. Um, I think we have a very long way to go. I feel comfortable saying that. And it's not just my district, it's, it's every district. Sure. Um, you know, we, we look at the breakfast, we kind of think how in the world is this being stretched to meet nutritional guidelines? But in all actuality, it is. Um, it's not what most would feed their kiddos, but they're getting something to eat. They're always getting a dairy, a milk. Um, there's always a fruit or vegetable option. Um, this year with the pandemic has been obviously completely different. Um, the building yeah, I've yeah. been in, yeah, the building I've been in for the past three years is a newly built building, and it houses upwards of 900 plus kids. So breakfast is automatically it has to be served in the classroom. There's no cafeteria that can hold that. So that was quite an adjustment. Um, this year, I'm getting right. Um, with lunch, um, I, we are very fortunate. My administrator finagled and figured out a way that kindergarten and first grade can eat in the cafeteria because the flooring we have is just taking a beating, you know. Uh, table manners are another thing we teach sometimes if the, the family hasn't. Um, mm -hmm. So our kids are able to go to the cafeteria, but everything this year is prepackaged. They order their lunch at nine o'clock in the morning. They have three choices now, two choices of a vegetable and a choice of a milk. Whereas the schools were designed to have almost a buffet style where you serve yourself. So they're getting limited quantities, which I know can be tough on the, the bigger kids that eat more. Um, and, and there's a lot less choice. It's either this vegetable or this vegetable. And if you don't like either, you're probably not gonna eat a vegetable. Whereas almost like, it was almost like the salad bar <laughs> where you could yeah, you know, choose yeah, yeah. the best option for yourself. So um, I don't think there's any district in America that would say that they are on point with nutrition and what it could become in the schools. Absolutely. But that also goes with cost. Well, and then to kind of kick on that, something I want to touch on later with standardized testing is, I think you see in a lot of schools, I know I saw in my uh, private college, um, a lot of food services being, you know, contracted out to third, to third party services. And then when you mentioned stretching to meet nutritional guidelines. Well, 
you have those companies meeting with lawmakers to decide said guideline. And correct, correct, in so, their pocket. So yeah. anyway, but that's, um, it's both a separate issue and the issue. Um, but what, like I said, we'll, I want to touch on that a little bit later with the standardized testing monopoly. Okay. Um, <laughs> just in general, how would you, how would you say education um, has changed, generally over my, speaking? Over, over my 25 over, years? Over your, yes. Um, no, they, they probably weren't paddling kids when you started. No. No. <laughs> no, never put a hand on a child, nor do I think I would if I had permission. Um, there are some parents that say, all you need to do is X, Y, Z, and I'm sorry, ma'am or sir, no, I'm not putting my hands on your child. If that's how you parent, that's your prerogative. Um, no, there is no physical. But anyway, how, whatsoever. <laughs> how, ha how have things, well, okay, maybe specifically in terms of discipline, how have discipline methods changed in the last 25 years? I don't know if the methods have changed. The kids have changed and I feel like we are not spiraling up to meet what they need. Um, I don't know if, I don't know what the answer is for discipline. I think when you look at um, people leaving the teaching field, teacher burnout, having to come in on a Saturday to catch up. Um, I, I don't know what the answer is discipline, but I think it is the number one driving factor of teachers leaving the profession even after just a year or two realizing, um, you know, somebody old like me, you know, 25 years in, I don't have that luxury and my love is still with the job, but the discipline is the most draining, exhausting, infuriating, oh, I, frustrating. I worked with high school kids. I worked right. with high school. It was a whole nother, yeah, yeah. you know. And I think every different. H has their own issues. Like, for example, teaching first grade, the joke is kindergarten and first grade were kind of in the basement of a three-story building because, you have to have a special heart to do K and one <laughs> because their, their, yeah. their problems and their needs are very unique. Um, but to be quite honest, we struggle with discipline. I can't imagine there's a school or a district that says they've got it all figured out because the kids are ever changing. Fair their enough. needs are ever changing. And then with uh, the, the pandemic this year, it's become different or enhanced problems with discipline. Would you say would you say um, there's more of an emphasis on positive or negative reinforcement? Realistically, across the board, I would say negative. We're very reactive in this field because a behavior issue stops our effectiveness in a sense, essentially. Um, I will say the building I'm in, we have a phenomenal leadership team, including our school psychologist that even the last two years, we have been, the major focus has been, it's a PBIS, a positive behavioral intervention system where we are you know, looking at any avenue to celebrate the positive. Um, I can speak to where I currently am. We have a system where we don't quote unquote, take points away, they earn them. So that's putting the responsibility back on them. Okay. Um, and there's, <laughs> And with little ones, I will be honest, there, there's a lot of what I call behavioral incentive. Some call it bribery. <laughs> but, you know, as their, as their brains are developing, they don't have that internal sense of, you know, doing what's right because it's right. And so you kind of have to model it. You have to lead them and you have to celebrate with, you know, a sweet treat every once in a while or something to encourage so they realize that's what's expected in the world. 
think, and you mentioned, um, you, you keep mentioning wonderful transitions to all my pre-planned points, so thank you for that. Um, you have a great school psychologist, and would you say that's something that's changed in 25 years, a focus or even an acknowledgement of the importance of student mental health? Is that something that's improved? 100%. But again, I will say it all comes back to money. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, every solution that seems to be one that will make a dramatic impact somehow causes money to be used. But our psychologist not only does her job as a psychologist, um, she does not do the counseling piece, but she does the um, educational evaluations. She's in charge of our positive behavior intervention system team. Uh, She works closely with our state at different levels of uh, recognition or silver. I'm not exactly sure what that means, Mm -hmm. but I know in in, in the circles, we are are proudly, although we're not done by any means, above a lot of the rest of the, the schools and areas and throughout the country, really. So we are on that shift, but it's a hard habit to break of you're going to lose a point versus you're not going to earn your point but it's giving those kids some ownership. So mm-hmm. that's that's the comment, it's your choice, not mine. Uh, it's kind of a balance between um, determination and responsibility. Correct. In a way. Yeah. And once again, touching on the mental health, I mean, even, even before the um, events of the last, uh, you know, 24 months or whatever, I think anyone who's paying attention would agree that, um, the most of the developed world is in somewhat of a mental health crisis. I mean, the numbers are exploding, not just, you know, uh, with diagnoses, but with the underlying effects from them, be it uh, in our opiate uh, epidemic or whatnot. So, you know, it's once again, we go back to the pyramid of needs. It's a couple steps higher up, but once again, if, if if someone is, you know, dealing with issues, be them emotionally or mentally or whatnot, it's, you can't be absorbing knowledge in a state like that. So I think it's very smart. It's, well, not just smart, it's necessary for schools to be starting that even at the, the young ages. I know, you know, your kids might not necessarily be able to grasp a lot of concepts when it comes to emotional intelligence, but- I You'd mean, be even, surprised. Well, okay, most would, but there some that might not, but, Correct. you know, just to even have, you know, emotional intelligence is something that needs to be taught as well as mm-hmm. book intelligence and Absolutely. all that kind of stuff. So I think um, that's all wonderful. One thing that we do uh, in my current building is we do not teach academics the first three weeks of school. Again, it okay. looks different this year, but it's um, like a collaboration of developing that family feeling keying any keying into any possible situations you know whether it be in the home the community that the child's having or maybe potential issues between students uh, before things start getting stressful or potential issues conflict of personality student versus adult Mm -hmm. Um, so we spend those first three weeks with no academics it is all um, the social aspect the you know understanding the rules not just being told what they are Um, And I think one of the most powerful things that we've done is teach, I mean, K to five, the concept of their brain, 
Um, we have this awesome little people video that talks about their hypothalamus and they learn that, you know, if they're in their downstairs brain, they can't learn. The upstairs brain is when they can function. Um, and we kind of teach them strategies. If you're in your downstairs brain, how can you get up there to that upstairs brain where you can get knowledge? We talk about what downstairs brain looks like, what upstairs brain looks like. And then we are really big on color coding. <laughs> um, our kids have a, what's called a weather strip system. And it's as okay. simple as uh, it's, I'd give you an example, but my kids have no name tags anymore. Um, it's a four color strip. Green is sunny. You're feeling sunny. You're feeling calm. You're in your, your upstairs brain ready to learn. Yellow, you know, and there's different emotions that we can attach. You're feeling sad. So you're yellow. Um, blue is the sleepy, the sick, the bored, the tired, and then red, you usually don't have to move that clip. We can tell when you're feeling red because you've kind of, you've lost it and you need to, to go somewhere and get yourself back together before we address it. Um, and I admit at the beginning of the year, all the time, move your clip, move your clip, move your clip. But I feel like my main goal is not to turn out kids that can ace the third grade reading test. Because with our state, I'll be quite honest, that's two years away. It could all change by then anyway. Mm -hmm. Mine is to make little human beings that are able to function when they go to second grade. So um, historically, I make the choice to work with kids that have a greater academic gap than many of their peers. Um, and they don't know how to be at school. So teaching them, you know, about their emotions, about where to go for help, um, making sure they feel they're able to make mistakes, they're able to ask for help, all of those pieces that a, a five, six, seven-year-old need to learn before any book is open to learn any act academics at all. That's smart. And I think the, the illusion of the downstairs brain, uh, I'm just curious, do you, um, do you use the Pixar movie Inside Out? We actually, um, I, okay, well, you know me enough. We have calm down corners, which again, look very different this year because of, you know, spreading yes, the COVID. Yes, yes. So in the past, um, I have, it's literally in a corner. It's kind of cozy. There are, and I'm looking at it, sorry. There are color posters, like, are you, and I made mine into Mickey Mouse, shocking. Um, mm -hmm. So we have Mickey in red and it kind of shows the facial features. We have the yellow, we have the green, and then there's all these things in the calm down corner. You know, if it's, they need sensory of squeezing, if they need to put headphones on to block noise out. So this year I was very fortunate. People donated money to me, people I hadn't talked to in 20 years, and I was able to make individual calm down kits. And I don't oh. remember what your question was. <laughs> no, 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 that, well, you know, we're just having discussion. That's all, okay. that's all fine and good. Um, so they, they, they have strategies of where to go for what they're feeling. And it takes for some of them the whole year just to learn that. But if you don't take care of that, you can try to teach them letters. You can try to teach them to add, but they're not going to do it. It's impossible. But would you say like at the first grade level, um, the ratio of academic versus social, emotional, all that stuff is probably a lot less so than at like the high school level, for example. Are you asking what it is or what I think it should be? That's a very um, big I'm, difference. Sorry, I did, I did not word that question well. No, it, it's um, a very different answer. Would you say that um, academics, the academic aspect is maybe 
less important at that age than it is at at um okay well yeah i guess that's the question do you think the do you think do, do you think do you, that you focus less on academics at that age and do you think that is um the, the smart strategy i guess i think that is the smart strategy however due to guidelines from higher above um we don't have that luxury what was first grade five years ago is now kindergarten what was kindergarten however many years ago is now being taught in preschool um with the with the guidelines that we currently have um preschoolers are supposed to come to kindergarten knowing all letters and sounds of the alphabet whereas even when you went to kindergarten that's where you learned that the expectation now is the typical child should be reading when they go to first grade and developmentally that's not appropriate well by the well at that age they're barely even to the point of memory so how can you learn anything if you literally can't remember anything but yeah i i know preaching the choir preaching the choir um sorry let me go through some of my other um oh um how do you feel about um the coupling of age and grade and do you think we would be better off if we if there was maybe more um flexibility and we didn't necessarily and someone wasn't necessarily put in a grade based on their age and you know of course we would have to destigmatize someone being older in a less advanced thing but do you think we would be ultimately better off or would this would the the only thousand percent even with the, do you think there would be social issues in mixing ages as long, I mean, as long as you didn't get like two. I think if it was a uniform, we're not signaling eight-year-old out for being in first grade, or we're not signaling, signaling out the five-year-old for being ready for second grade material, I think yes. Do I think our society will ever get to that point? I don't think so. I think it's been this way for so long. So you can ask your uncle, actually, my dream is to move to New Zealand. I don't know how much research you did, but New Zealand, um, they come to school on their fifth birthday. They start where they start and they don't move until they're ready. It's not, you're five, you go to kindergarten, you turn six, you go to first grade, you should be reading because you're six. That may, I mean, that intuitively makes sense to me because Absolutely. I mean, with the current model, you just, I mean, you're kind of, you're, you have to shoot the, for the middle of the bell curve, but then, you know, people on both sides of the margins, your smart people are being held back and um, your people who need more time are being rushed through when they're not ready. So, I mean, you're hurting both of them. Well, you're hurting all three because if you're just teaching to the middle, they're not even being exposed to what possibly they could grasp at the top. They also point. might need what was down towards the lower end because that might be a skill that they need to develop what they have further. Um, and honestly, I will say, other than discipline, I think the, um, I can't think of the word I need, but the almost demand that because we have kids all over the place, even I, I personally think the younger, the more mixed you have, but I just feel like the, the whole concept of differentiation of instruction it is exhausting and I'll be quite honest, that's why I'm here today. I have a child who does not know how to write his name and he is eight. 
and I have a child who's seven who spent the majority of the year remote, came back in January and is reading on a third grade level. So my job becomes to, it's not, it's not appropriate to teach to that average child. It's to meet every single child's individual needs, almost like an individualized education plan or an IEP for a child with an identified disability. I feel like every child almost needs their own um, individualized learning plan because no two, I've never seen any two first graders exactly the same. I mean, it's, and it's exhausting. It's exhausting. You would definitely, you would definitely agree with the, um, I don't know, I guess you would call it a meme before memes were even, the, the, the funny picture where it's like the monkey, the giraffe and the fish in the bowl. And the person's like, oh, your final exam is to climb this tree. Well, Amen. the monkey's going to do just fine, but. Correct. So we have to differentiate our instruction, but we don't differentiate how we assess them. How well, is that fair? Well, then I guess my question would be, um, what, how, do we, how do we approach that problem? With, with every student, you know, approaching it with the idea that every student has a unique, uh, you know, there will be, of course, crossovers. Correct. Um, it, everything would be impossible if it were completely unique, but somewhat unique um, mindset with, you know, whatever, biases from parents loaded in good or bad um like how how can we make sure that we're serving them the best that we can while also acknowledging the individual differences what, what would you say would be the strategy for that I honestly don't know what the answer is I can tell you what I try to do and what good colleagues that I see trying to do is is and it's been very hard this year because I don't know if you can remember back to when you were in younger grades, but you would have these little rotations. You would have your little reading group. You would you know, do your seat work. You would go to a center. And of course, this year, all that was taken away. So it's been very difficult this year to meet with those little pods of kids that are on or near the same academic ability levels. Um, to me, I, I don't know, maybe it's because I'm a cynic now and I've been doing this for so long, but I feel like if you can prove that your child started August here and then by May they were here and they showed adequate growth, um, I don't understand how a testing company um, can make that decision and, and define who a kid is. Uh, we could jump on the bandwagon and say, you know, not just teacher evaluation systems, you know, systems for evaluating people in the workplace. How fair are those? You know? No, no I'll agree with you. Well, and then I think you touched on a, a pretty big point that I think it's time to stab that whale, the, the standardized testing issue. I mean, I don't, I don't think anyone's going to be surprised that both of us think that the idea is um, yes. Um, I guess my, I would say that this all comes out of some kind of way, you know, they, they want to quantify growth. <laughs> there, there, there's this, um, you know, especially around turn of the century as things got more data and digit, digital and data driven, you know, we wanted to quantify everything. Well, some things don't really fit into quantifiability. So um, it's definitely more quantitative in the educational, um, but I guess then if, I mean, how, what would be a quantitative standard of judging growth? In I don't know, like how would you, how, if without, if it weren't, if not testing, how would you 
um, know when someone's ready to move on to the next grade, for example, if we're not doing it by age. So if we're not giving a test that, say, every first grader in America takes, how would I know they're ready for second? Um, formative data, summative data, pre-post-test data, you know, doing extensive um, screening when they come in to show their exact level where they are. You know, okay. looking at, well, I think we'd have to overhaul the standards of education, like the curriculum as well. Um, but I think looking at where they start and where they come. You know, we're teaching five and six and seven-year-olds that how they do next Wednesday when they take the first grade standardized test, that's who they are. Well, what if you didn't eat breakfast that day? What if dad went to jail that night? What if they suck at taking tests? What if they need more time? Uh -huh. And then we use that to group kids for the following year. And I'm like, but wait, <laughs> or the kid that guesses correctly and they look like they're a genius and you're like no no they need help yeah uh, I, I just think it maybe at the older ages middle school high school you can have a little bit more of that standardized but I think as I, I just think we are so all over the map with with where we come k12 especially I don't I don't feel like that is it, it's not even a would, fair measure would you argue that well I, I think I know the answer. You would argue that we need to, uh, tests themselves are not necessarily bad. Tests need to be vastly de-standardized. Yes. We need to be able to give basically individual tests to individual students. Now that's a little bit more work than anyone needs, you know, not literally individual tests, but, you know, tests that are appropriate for each Student, I mean, I'm sure you've seen the Blindside movie with uh, the Michael yeah. Sam story where, you know, if it's written, he didn't answer a single question when it was read out loud. So, you know, of course, he needs to learn to read, but correct. it's just an example of a different mind given in a different way. So you would, you would argue it just needs to be, the standardization itself is maybe the issue. Would you, would you agree? I think you could have something standard. I just don't think the method we're using for kids this young, I, I just don't think they should be on a laptop showing what they know. And that's, that's my phrase, show me what you know. I can, for example, somebody walked by, I was doing an intervention with a kid who is, has a very large gap between where they are and where they should be. Mm -hmm. And I'm doing an intervention where I have a sentence strip and it has common sight words. So I'm pointing to each word. And when I got to a word, I knew that kid didn't know what OW said. I know the kid well enough. And somebody said, how did you know to decode that? Because I know my kids. I don't need, you know, this data that's going to come 24 hours after my kids test next week to know if they've grown or to know where their strengths and weaknesses are. Mm -hmm. Sorry, I'm getting so, fired up now. <laughs> no, 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 that's, this is, this is all It's this heartbreaking. Stuff. It's heartbreaking no, for I understand. the kids and it's heartbreaking for the teachers because that's how we're judged too. Yeah, I know. And yeah, I mean, and I touched on this a little bit, you know, you judged on your Delta. So if you're already good, what are you gonna do? Get, go above a hundred? Um, you did mention um, kids on computers. So I, I kind of want to touch on this because this show has a little bit of a technology spin to it. Um, and so kind of back to the question before, how have things changed in your 25 years? <laughs> uh, two part question, I guess. How have you seen technology be adapted into the educational space? And mm -hmm. 
how would you like to see it adapted going forward? So I will say my first three years, I was not in a typical classroom. So when I went to my first classroom, which would have been year four, so 21 years ago, first grade math, um, I think I, it was a blur, it was a rough year. I believe I had three chunky computers on a table. Um, we went through phases where we had these computer labs with those desktops. We went through, you'd have five in your room, you'd have, I mean, there was never that one-to-one. -one. Now, very fortunate in my district, there are many shortcomings in any district across the country, but I will say even, um, hold on, I gotta say that, <laughs> I can't say it that way. Even districts that are viewed as much stronger and higher academics don't have a one-to-one -one with technology. My district, we are very blessed. Every child over 9,000 kids has issued to them a Chromebook. Is it the best technology? Absolutely not. Are there problems? Absolutely. But it's there when it's needed and when it's appropriate. So do you think you, you wholeheartedly believe technology belongs in the educational space? I do, but I don't think it should be an equitable percentage of the day across K-12. Okay, yeah, well, sure, yeah. In terms of, yeah, you don't want them on so, the screen all day long, of course not. So we just celebrated day 141 yesterday. 15 days, I've been in person all year. So 15 days, my kids who are in-person kids were remote, I was remote. It was a nightmare. I, I mean, I tried, I gave everything I had, but man, and it, it was common social media is like everybody, I feel like a failure. I think it can be used at this stage to reinforce, to practice. But I don't think when you're five, six, seven years old, technology can be used to teach you. You need that human interaction, that hands-on, because if you're sitting with a laptop, all you're getting is the auditory. You're not getting the visual, really. You're not getting the hands-on. You're not getting the kinesthetic. You're just listening. And then add in a little ADD or ADHD on top of a young child who doesn't have a long attention span. They're not getting stuff from there. So my kids are on um, probably not even 30 to 45 minutes a day. And the reason they're on that much is because I have a very um, heavy support class and I have one third of my class leave right after lunch. So we're on a program that is phenomenal. I mean, teacher picked, go figure. Um, it's a great program and I can with a click of a mouse individualize instruction for them. And it's engaging and it's fun. Um, but at the beginning of the year, it was, you know, teach them to be on the laptops, do everything as you're online. And I know I'm an in-person teacher. Well, I'm not even necessarily, um, the kids on the technology. Yes. I mean, I think they, they, they have enough screen time at home that I don't think we should be too worried about that. I'm, I'm more thinking about in terms of how technology is used, um, to instruct. Now you mentioned okay. you can you can create individualized lesson plans. And then it also, I would imagine technology has made it easier to uh, open up a line of dialogue between um, parent and school to keep Absolutely. that. You, me you mentioned how important it is to get the parents kind of involved in the journey from the first step. And then it's important to keep the parents involved in the journey just as much as the kids, if you will. Um, and most parents will 
do that anyway. Some parents might just need a little bit more, more of a push. And I'm not, I'm not trying to, to uh, you know, down on anyone. People are busy with lives and stuff, but you know, sometimes it's hard to keep track of what, I don't know. I don't know where I'm going with that one. It's but, not always a priority in every home. Well, I mean, I don't know. It's just, you know, I can just imagine, you know, a single mother, three kids working jobs, you know, even doing the best that she can, she might not know exactly what's going on in the classroom. So it, mm -hmm. those kind of situations, especially when a parent is doing their best and, you know, of course, apathetic parents, there's not really anything you can do about, but the sure. ones who really care, technology has made it a lot easier um, sure. in that aspect. And then something, uh, the big the big revolution when I was in middle school, the, um, the smart boards, the projected, and then you could like, you had the stylus that basically worked as Yes, sorry. No, you're fine, you're fine, I'll wait. Sensor light, sorry. Yes, I, I had a smart board before I came to this building and it was phenomenal. It was so interactive for kids, the touch, the everything. Um, when our new uh, buildings were built, we have a whiteboard and a projector, so it is not interactive. And I think that took a lot away from kids being involved. Um, you know, they can go up and touch stuff, but nothing's gonna move and, you know, the stylus, nothing like that. So I, I miss my smart board. That was a phenomenal piece of technology for little people. Maybe, I mean, I'm just thinking in the future, maybe some kind of like 3D projectionary thing, you know, you know, out of like Iron Man or something where you can turn it around and, you know, I mean, yeah. in the future, that's not, that's far it, from unreasonable. Absolutely. So, and think just, about how powerful that would be. I mean, it would be real life in the kid's face. Absolutely. Well, I was <laughs> yeah, it's just off the top of my head, but like I don't know, just any of those kind of I'm just thinking like going forward technology, how else could uh, that be introduced? So that's very interesting. Um so um, a little bit what we were talking about with the standardization, um, where you said some standardization can be good. Would you agree, and I, I don't want to um, rehash too much on um, what Robert was saying, but he was making the argument that school is too structured. We put too much emphasis on the, the structuring. Um, I guess, what's your, what's your take? Do you feel like, well, okay, I'll ask you in two parts. Um, at me at we'll say at your level which will you know kindergarten first grade second grade and then generally in school do you feel like there's too much structure not enough structure what's your opinion on that that's a hard thing to answer um with the population that i have i they crave a routine they crave knowing what's next because there is quite often so much unexpected coming at them outside of school they see school as there, I come, I do this, I this, I this, and there's no interruptions. Um, I quite often have kids that even, you know, flip-flopping language arts and math will throw them for a whirl. But I think learning doesn't have to be as sit in your desk, learn structured. I think there can be a lot more um, different methods used so that it is a more relaxed, have choice as your learning type situation. But sure. for me, 
and it's, it's, it's what I need as well. So it works well with kids that are struggling either behaviorally, academically, is it is very structured. They know the expectations. Okay. It's never a surprise for them. And I think it helps with their accountability. They know that that's the expectation. They didn't follow it. There's a lot less resistance when you have to correct or discuss things with them. Well, that makes, yeah, that makes total sense. Um, would you agree maybe that as they, as they progress, um, a little bit of destructuring is appropriate, maybe? Like, yeah, I, I do. A high school senior does not need the same amount of structure as a first grader. Not at all. Um, I, I think and, if that were the case, they would not function very well as an adult in society. Well, you could argue that's exactly what has happened, to be fair. I mean, not, obviously, they're not treating uh, 12th graders exactly like first graders, but, you know, you could definitely argue that, you know, you can make that argument, I think. I think that's fair. I absolutely think that's fair. And honestly, <laughs> this is horrible, but I don't know much that goes on above you know, yeah. I have, I have them here and, and I focus and love them and teach them for those five years. And when they come back, I'm happy. Um, yeah, I, I don't, I, I'm not even sure I could tell you how everything has been working in my own district at middle school and high school at this year. Okay. Yeah, fair enough. It, it, it's mean, kind of a, I, I got to figure out how to survive in my own crazy world this year. Well, I mean, I just, I'm just kind of thinking from my own experiences, a, you know, I was in that world somewhat recently, not as recently as I wish. Um, and then I also, you know, was working with high school kids for a little bit as well. So um, I don't know. I just think in general, um, I mean, I, what you're saying about structure at the young age makes total sense. I just think as we get older, we have too much structure. And then once people, you know, and then they go to college and a lot of people are saying college is the new high school, basically. Um, yeah. So, and then, you know, most colleges at this point are very, very, very structured and safe for lack of better wording. So once you finally do get out in that free world where there's no structure, you maybe, you know, we, we need to maybe teach young people how to build their own structure and not just rely on structures that are already there. Would you agree? That's, that's what extent? I was gonna agree. I feel like if we are teaching them how structure looks and feels, hopefully they will have it within them to develop a structure on their own that is a positive and you know works for them i agree because you go to well not as much anymore because you're right everything's pushing up preschools kindergarten high school is college but you know how many of the kids that were in high school and they were you know, so straight laced they had to you know follow every rule they get to high or they get to college and they lose their minds because yeah. they've gone from complete do this at this time to nobody's telling me what to do um, you, you can compare it with like an athlete who's in serious training. They're told when to get up, what to eat, what to, what to, they retire and they have no idea what to do because they've never been given the opportunity to be part of their schedule. Sure. And I mean, I'm not even going to argue that the structure, um, you know, there are some people whose natural structure does fit inside the structure that a school creates. But I'm going to argue that that's maybe like 10% of people and there's a bunch of different structures. And kind of like you said, I don't think structure is the issue. We need to just teach people to build their own structuring. Mm -hmm. And I think that needs to happen in that high school to college age. But if we over-structuralize at those ages, then we're doing uh, people in my age group a disservice. 
but, at, at you, but if we don't put structure in at your age group, then they'll never be able to develop their own structure at all. Because they won't know what structure is. Exactly. Okay. That makes total sense. All right. Fair enough. Uh, it, it, sorry, I'm just going to jump back on this. No, it, no, no. Go. There's a lot of discussion, you know, in high schools. They're not teaching how to balance a checkbook, how to open a bank account, X, Y, Z. Couldn't we say some sort of um, instruction on we've had you structured? Yes, they should be releasing some of it, but almost using that as a teaching tool. You've been structured. You're not going to have it anymore. You know, start releasing that responsibility onto the kids. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. it's yeah. a life skill. It's a life skill. It is. I mean, and it's something that even as adults now, we still are developing our own structure and, you know, modifying our routine or whatever, you know, trying to develop and all that good stuff. So it's not like it ever ends, but it's something you have to kind of get the ball rolling early or else, you know, if it all hits you at once, then it's just a bit of a rude awakening. And Absolutely. we're dropping a lot of people into rude awakenings, which also combines with uh, another thing I might want to touch with, the uh, overwhelming amount of student debt people run. Um, so a lot of people, you know, Bernie Sanders and all those people, they're arguing for free four-year college tuition or um, I believe Biden's infrastructure, um, whatever, development plan is going to involve two years community college. Uh, and I know you said you're not necessarily as aware of what's going on above you, but I don't know, just in, in your gut, what's your, what's your reaction to, I guess, A, the, the, the crazy amount of debt people in my generation are in, B, the inflating prices of higher education that are not resulting in a better product. Yeah. Um, um, it took me 10 years to pay off an undergrad degree. And that's been obviously, you know, a year or two. Um, having a kid in college, it's breaking my heart to see that debt acquire. Um, that's with scholarships. I, oh, massive scholarships, educational and everything. Mm -hmm. Um, for me. I don't, I, I don't think college should be free because I think when you do have that financial tie to it, you take more responsibility for it. If somebody gives you a free ride, is there as much accountability on you? Not if you're not if you've not grown that way. Um, but should my kid? She probably doesn't need to watch this. Should mm -hmm. she have to graduate from her seven-year program, which she is now forced to go seven years to get what she wants, be over a hundred thousand dollars in debt when she's finished? No, absolutely not. But I don't think it should be a. I don't think it should be a free ticket. I think it should be. Um, I think it's way too expensive. I can voice my opinions on what we've paid for this year and what we've got during a pandemic, and it's darn frustrating. Um, I don't know well, what the something answer is. In a, something specifically in higher education that we're seeing balloon costs, and this is a, a phenomenon that I've been railing against in all sectors of society. Mm -hmm. um, the, the absolutely insane inflation of the administration and bureaucratic class yeah. Um, you know, that's not, and just, I, I give the example, um, I don't know, we might have to cut this out. I think it's insane to think that, um, 
the secretary at the superintendent's office can buy office, gets office supplies from the taxpayer, no question. You think the secretary at the superintendent's office has never bought an office supply, and nor should she, but how many times have you bought school supplies for kids with your money and not taxpayer money? Taxpayers are paying for the same supplies for administrators rather than students. Pencils, pens, all that stuff is going to administrative buildings on the taxpayer while you are buying for the kids. That is a fact. And I think that's something that has been happening. Like I said, I've been banging on about it. It's something that's happening in all aspects of society. And I think um, it'll be interesting to see once AI, the rise of AI, these kind of administrative jobs are really not going to be done by people. I mean, most, I think most institutions, if they really audited their administration, they would notice that there's a lot of ballooning and waste. Um, but especially as AI is able to pass data 10 times faster than a human can think, you're gonna see these administration, administrative assistance and all that kind of stuff fall by the wayside. Um, so hopefully we can see the costs get cut in that. And uh, I guess that's all I can say on that. I know you're probably a bit limited on discussion of administrative and bureaucratic issues. Well, I will say, I don't know what goes into their decisions. I would never want to be anything more than a teacher. I would not want to be a dean of students. I would not want to be a, you know, assistant or assistant to principal. Never would I want to be anything higher. So I, I truly say I don't know what goes into their decisions. But I feel like if there was more transparency, there would be more understanding. Um, and I feel comfortable saying, now, first of all, my administrator is phenomenal. If you need something, she'll find a way. But it has probably been, I'm bad with oh, years. It's in the, and it's not even five it's to seven administrative years. people. It's, it's not been, the people it's, themselves. It's been about five to seven years before I've been given a tiny, tiny budget for my classroom. There is no allotted money given to us at all anymore. We used to get you know, a whopping maybe $100 to run our room for the entire year. You get something called a bid book where they found the cheapest prices, you'd spend your money, and then that's that. And then I want to say probably six years ago-ish, in order to be more fiscally responsible, that went away. Yeah, but how many people did they pay tens of thousands of dollars to do the analysis that said they need to be more fiscally responsible? Anyway, like, I don't I don't want to go too far down any rabbit holes because then we get lost on the uh, the core um, of what we're talking about here. Um, switching topic just a little bit, and I want to get your take on this. So, I mean, any any um, any even moderate looking into statistics will show that vast vast majority of teachers, uh, specifically, once again, I'm going to use your level very loosely, your age group, um, vast majority to almost all of them are female. So my question, I guess, couple parter is, um, one, why do you think that might be? Two, do you think that is something that has changed over your time? Um, and then I guess just I don't know. I guess, what are your thoughts on the, and Gender I don't, I'm not, I'm not trying to make it, I'm not trying to be like, oh, men's rights are being, you know, not, mm -hmm. but it's, I mean, it's a very observable 
um, phenomenon. So I'm curious as to your perspective on why and if it's a valid phenomenon to be. Um, I think we are doing a major disservice to our students and our population. I don't know if in a building of 100 staff members, I could walk up to any of them and ask, would you rather not have a male? Um, to be quite honest, and I want to say this politically correct, so I'm not like a tweet or a meme, but I would give anything to have an administrator who is male and African-American. These kids need to see themselves in these roles. Um, I, I feel yeah, maybe someone who can relate to their issues, you Absolutely. know, at, at, at the younger age, there's not necessarily as many gender specific issues as maybe middle school, you know, but there are, there are still some. I, mm, I, I think you would disagree. I do. I would like to disagree with you. Oh, okay, yeah, no, I feel like what could we head off at the pass? If one of my kiddos that is living in a, a home life that is putting him on that path, if I may just say it that way, if he, oh, okay. has no, that's that, if he has that male role model that looks like him, that has lived like him, who says we can't cut off so many of these problems before they even start? Or if what just one kid doesn't go down that path because, you know, we talk about it a lot with kids' books. I'm, I'm, I'm off on a tangent. No, no, please do. Um, and it's very important that when you have a, of course, kids can't have books this year, but that's another story. Um, it's important that you have. Will be, I'm saving that. I'm saving all that for the end. Don't worry. Um, it's important that when, like, you have a classroom library, you have mirror books where kids look and see themselves and also books that are written by people that are like themselves. And you'll find that seriously lacking in kids' literature, which is, just, it's a travesty. And it feels like you're pulling these constant stories because they're the only ones that say, hey, that looks like me. And I think that's the same. We, I, there's nobody in this building that would not give anything to have male teachers all over. The male subs, when subs, were coming into the building, um, if they were capable, <laughs> had nothing yeah. to do with their gender, but if they were capable and they were strong-willed, they were the most respected. Um, a very large portion of my population is African-American. And I know there actually have been studies done that the African-American male is the least respected in their culture because I'm assuming of issues coming from their home lives. Um, to have that role model in the building, I, 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 the whole, it should be half Positive and half. masculinity. Every kid, yeah. We should have males, we should have females, we should have, you know, we could go into people that are transgender, we could say different religions, we could say different skin oh, tones, we yeah. could say Persian, we could say, absolutely, yeah. it would be, you know, if the whole rainbow was here, how much more could some of these kids relate to school? Why do you... If you were to theorize a little bit, why do you think it is that there are so few males at, I mean, and at the high school, it's a little, it's much more equal in terms of male, female teachers. Why do you think, why do you that, think is? that is? Well, oh no, I, I know why I think it is, but I want to hear why you think it is. Why do you think it's more prevalent in high school? Um, I think there's just generally kind of this, um, for lack of a better word, a, a meme well, I'm not using it as like the joke, but in its technical term, a meme is just kind of a commonly held 
belief or whatever. There's this mm -hmm. kind of meme that a, a guy who wants to be around small children has bad intentions. Okay. See, I see it as it's a society problem. <laughs> because Well, that's what I'm saying. That's how society right, but I, not it. Not necessarily in that disgustingly icky way, but just more of, let's speak openly. Well, you must be gay. You must be, you must be. What Would if you it's say it's, it's the same issue with male nurses? Oh, absolutely. Why aren't you okay. a doctor? That's being a sissy. Absolutely. It's a societal issue. It's a stereotype nurses, that- Nurses do medical work. Uh, you know, you, I, things pop into my head from TV shows, you know, somebody says, oh, male nurse, that's being a sissy. Well, it didn't feel that way in Iraq. But you don't, it to, it's just, you don't think there's any, you don't think there's any legitimate reasons. It's just. Well, and I also think our society views the male as the breadwinner and this ain't going to do it for you. <laughs> no, okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's I mean, a whole nother. Yeah. The man has to provide and to you have to sacrifice a lot for yourself and your family to be in this profession. And I think, and it goes along, I think with a societal stereotype that the man must provide. Um, and you're not going to do that here, but I wanna get back to the high school thing. Why do you think there are more male teachers at high schools? Truly. Uh... Uh, because I don't know, I just think the the males i don't know people think that females are better with little kids or something the connection between gender and the, and little kids is my is my hypothesis what <laughs> you seem to have uh, an ace up your sleeve perhaps uh, no just personally i do know some middle school males i know i mean i, I know pockets of people yeah sure my, sure my sure kids world they want to coach uh, oh well you're good yeah I mean, I mean, I'm not going to lie. I had a fraternity yeah. brother just moved to Arizona because he got a history gig and he's like, and they're also going to let me coach on the football team. So, well, I mean, to be honest, I'm looking to reach out. Well, I'm only going to be assistant coaching, volunteering, so I won't have to teach, but not that I couldn't. Right. But, so really, you think that's a, a really I big think factor? That's a very big factor at the high school, middle school level. But hmm. I also think there's that there's that view of the male is strict the male can keep order the male can and not uh, not that i would ever toot my own horn or whatever but you can put me up against anyone my my discipline will run circles around any man at the high school so that's a societal stereotype i had to break like oh you know she is but you don't you don't necessarily think there's anything like there's nothing inherently gained from having such a vast minority of men. You think it's almost purely negative? I believe so, yeah. Okay. No, I mean, I just want to, I, I'm just- similar to- That's my opinion, that, but if I'm missing something, you're going to be the one no, to know. I think, I think the gender inequity is, it's almost equal to the um, race inequity. Yeah, I think I think every kid that goes through school should see their gender, they should see their race, they should see every part of it. And I will say my district and many others, they try. They will bring people on board, perhaps not for the right reason. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I under yeah, I can see, but I can see that kind of the struggle where 
you're trying to do two things, you know, it's a needle you, I don't know, I don't want to say it's a needle you have to thread, but you can't, you got to get them, I don't know. Yeah. But people have to be there to be hired to fix this problem. Well, I, you know, well, we can go back to, not that you need to, you know, go on about it, but you know what attracts highly skilled people? High wages. You know, well, not and, only do you not get And I would well, have to argue in this position. You're taking a pay cut. Oh, I've said it. But the, any halfway decent teacher is being paid less than their, their value. You have to be, I don't know if it's possible to be a bad enough teacher that you're actually getting paid fairly. If you're so bad of a teacher that you're being paid fairly, then you probably shouldn't be teaching. Would you agree? <laughs> Would you, that's fair. Can I give you some names when we're done recording? <laughs> and it's infuriating and it's exhausting because here I am again, I'm, I am tooting my horn today because I'm tired. It's Saturday, I'm here, I got stuff to do. And then you have the people that walk in the minute they're allowed to come in late and the minute they leave and and, it's like, uh, I've, and I've, I've worked at low I worked at low wage places before. Yeah, I mean, when you're hiring anyone you can get, it's you know. Yeah. Yeah. But you just have to make the decision: Are you going to stoop to the uh, the the minimum or be the maximum you need to be? So. Yeah, yeah. and I think I mean I well I guess I can't say that I know, but I'm pretty confident that your students have felt the benefit of the extra work. So they thank even if they might not thank you at the time. Hopefully, enough of them come back and thank you afterwards. Uh, I've had my Oprah moment, so it's okay. I had one come back on this uh, high school graduation day. Um, touching a little bit on the um, the issue of school choice, uh, school choice and school school voucher systems. Um, I guess, do you have a take on, well, okay, maybe, maybe I'll give my take first and see how your response is. Okay. So my gut reaction to, you know, having private versus public school, my gut reaction is concern because anytime something like, to me, my gut reaction is all the people with the money are going to keep their money together, get all the best stuff. And everyone who doesn't have money is going to be and you can argue that's already what's happening with the way that public schools are funded through property taxes um, is very similar. But I, I think that my gut reaction is that private school, school choice is just an acceleration of this. But the other side of it, which I see um, what we were talking about earlier, how there's just such vast differences in how children learn. I think the school choice system, if done correctly, actually is better than maybe just like you know, would be would truly offer choice between learning styles rather than just we have all the money and it's great versus we have what's left over. You know what I see? So I can see that that aspect of school choice makes total sense to me. Um, but then, like I said, my gut reaction is anytime money gets involved, rich people get the best and poor people get the rest. So what's your what's your reaction to those? I guess the, the two sides of that spectrum. Um. I strongly agree that it is a different kind of discrimination based on money. In my perfect world, which I'm getting tired and I'm not sure how much I can be part of the change anymore, is you know we have we we allow within our district 
the district that my daughter went to was anybody could go. It was true free, you know, open choice. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like we could do a huge service to so many kids, not only based on, you know, the style of learning, but, you know, there are kids that go to school to play sports or they would not go to school. And I feel like that kind of things could be fostered early on. You could have, you know, take away that word magnet, take away the word charter from schools and you just have, and it's not going to depend on where the school is. It doesn't have to be, I'm just going to throw places, Indian Hill. It doesn't have to be over the Rhine. It just needs to be buildings that cater to kids that need whatever that school focuses on. Mm-hmm. But yes, I think there, I'll be quite honest. And that, you know, the kind of the running joke around here is, I don't know if you've heard of Indian Hill. It's a, a very wealthy um, area in Cincinnati. The Linders live there. And um, just overall, that is, that's kind of the view. And, you know, it's like, well, we're not Indian Hill, you know, that's, yeah. it, and it's, I mean, I'm, I'm glad those children have so many opportunities, but I do, I think it's very disproportionate. Yeah, no, and that's what I, I think a lot of the, unfortunately, and I think you probably agree with me, a lot of the people making the school choice argument are doing it in bad faith because they are the people with these vast resources and they just basically want to, to, to break away, if you will. Um, but or they've some, never been in education at all. <laughs> that too, but there are some people, um, and I do understand, especially how we were saying the, the importance of you know, different learning styles. If done correctly, school choice is amazing, but it's gonna be so hard to decouple it from financial mm-hmm. and anything coupled to financial becomes financial discrimination. For Correct. Correct. In any aspect, so. You can <sighs> pretend it's not, but it 100% is. And I think that just perpetuates the, for example, the, you know, cycle of poverty. You know, if you are born into a neighborhood that does not have resources, and you don't have the opportunity to better yourself and, you know, go to the movies where you get on the Metro bus and you go to that, you know, much better school, that cycle is going to continue. You're not giving um, those on the lower economic status the, the chance to advance their life. But I think you're also disadvantaging, I don't think that's a word, but those that, that might have everything in the world because that's not an accurate depiction of the real world. If you can bring everybody together, imagine what could happen. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, we have danced around it just a bit. So now I guess we'll dive right into it. How has, what has, what's, uh, what has the world of teaching been like in the last um, year and a half? What are some, um, what are some of the unique struggles or I don't know? Break it down for me as best you can. How is it? How is how is since the world turned upside down? How are you educating children? Well, I will say um, March twelfth, two thousand twenty, to the end of the school year, I was just trying to be present for my kids, because imagine what we're thinking and going through, and having the intellectual ability to understand as much as could be understood at that point. You know, these kids were terrified. They're home. You know, when I hugged them and, yep, kissed them on the cheek, shouldn't have done it. But on March 12th, we had a scheduled in service that next day. And that's when Ohio shut down. Um, I said, I'll see you soon. And that ended up being a lie. And that was horrible um, because it felt, I, I, I was terrified. They thought I was abandoning them, you know, 
So we zoomed, we tried, they, they didn't learn much, but they knew every day at nine o'clock and 12 o'clock they could see me. Um, my district did a phenomenal job of feeding our community and they still do it every Friday. They, they feed That's, the community. Yeah, school, schools and all that um, services that are feeding yeah. kids while doing this outage are fantastic. I know there's a, not to go on a tangent, there's a professional soccer player in England named Marcus Rashford who's been doing fantastic charity work over there and you know, petitioning the government to continue school. Um, but anyway, I don't want to cut you off too much. Please continue. Um, so we were not allowed in the building at all. It was pretty much you have till noon, take what you think you need, you may not come back, um, which does not bode well for, you know, people with obsessive compulsive disorder that really would like to, like, still my room's a nightmare. Um, we scheduled pickups where I was able to see my kids in their car. And um, I, I'm just going to say it, I had all but one kid show up. So I did something right, you know, parents crying, everything. Never, ever did we imagine. We thought that was the bad part. We never imagined it would be a whole nother school year. Um, I never questioned if I would be in person. Um, you know, I confirmed with my family and they supported my decision because technology is not my friend anyway. Um, mm -hmm. There have been, and people laugh because I have a little saying, there have been many baby blessings with COVID and you and I both are not religious people. So that's just kind of a little saying I have. Um, we have been fortunate that, fortunate, not fortunate, um, our elementary school had the highest population that chose to start remote. So in my room, I started with 15 kids, which in a typical setting, you could possibly move mountains if those were ready to be moved. Um, we also have an assistant in kindergarten and first grade rooms full-time with us, which okay. financially never happens. Um, are those usually like um, college students or like- No, no, these are um, the one I have, baby blessing. Love her dearly. We're trying to figure out how to work together in the future. These were friends that um, had, uh, classified status roles within the building. Hmm. So the person that I was blessed to get was what was called a title one tutor. She was hired at an hourly rate. She does not have, you know, an education degree. Um, and then she last year would pull small groups and do a scripted program to work with okay. an intervention type. So all of those people were pushed in, um, all, again, all K and one. And then, um, you know, I'm looking around and we were six feet as hard as you can, you know, yeah. the, the rooms are only so big. Um, they don't, my, again, my kids are very fortunate. They do get to leave the room to go eat lunch. Um, recess is completely my class and me, um, which is a big change. Usually they go out to recess and there's aids and mm -hmm. we've seen a dramatic decrease in behavioral problems at recess. So we're actually keeping the teacher going to recess, which unless it's hot and humid, it's okay with me. Um, I think on one end of the spectrum, it's been phenomenal because my kids will stick up and defend and pick up and help any kid in this room. Uh, because they they realize <laughs> they've all they've got. You know, we go out to recess, there are four rooms. You can't mix the cohorts. So I, I now have 17 kids. I've three kids have come back from remote. And um, I have some kids that are definitely special. 
I don't know. They just, they take care of each other. And I don't know in a typical setting if that would have happened. Um, Cause you know, I can go out to recess and play with X, Y, Z. Well, no, you can't. You can play with somebody in here. So you better watch yourself. And I feel like we've had a lot less tattling and, and just annoyances because they realize the outcome is they're going to be by themselves. Um, so it's pretty much, it, it's isolated, which is, again, it's bad, it's good. I don't know what's going on in my world at all, except in my little classroom. Isolation versus solitude. Correct. It's a little bit of a yin and yang. You got to have a little bit, but too much. Right, right. I, I mean, we just like two classes together. Um, the way I teach had to change. Um, very How so? Well, very hands-on. You know, if we're doing math, and we're using, you know, manipulatives. If I don't have enough to give everybody in a baggie, um, especially early on, I, I 1,000, you know, I, I admit I've, I've backed off a little bit. Um, you know, they, they can't share supplies. If a kid drops their school box, which happens 9,000 times a day in first grade, they can't go help. And that to me is hmm. hard because yeah. that's something that is a major focus of my, my social teaching, like help each other, you know, you know, whatever, like help each other. And we, we, we yeah, it's gotta be like a, yeah, because the young minds, they can't really take caveats well. So when you're like, right. you should do this, but not right now, you know, you should, you should, you should hug your loved ones, but not right now. Right. So, I mean, we've come up with little things like, you know, the school box falls and we're all like, wish we could help. <laughs> so we want, you know, they know that's the right thing they can't. Um, the They're at least activating their mind, the muscle, it's not muscle memory of the mind, if you will. Correct. They'll at least know that, you know, that's a supposed behavior when there's no germs. Um, I, I struggled since day one with the uh, arrangement of my room. I very probably weekly say the 1950s called and they'd like their little neat rows back um, because of that as close to six feet as we can. Yeah. You know, I'm more of a yeah. cooperative learning, you know, put the desk together. But then again, that probably has eliminated a lot of, you know, he touched me, she touched me. I don't know. What about um, um like trying is trying to learn outdoors viable or do they just get lost immediately? We have done some and I will say the upper grades are better. Well, because uh, virus transmission outdoors is much, much less likely. Correct. I've seen, I see a lot of, because we have that extra support person at times, I think every grade has it at some point, you know, I'll see that support person take a small group out with their chapter books and they'll read. Um, I've seen the older kids go out with their Chromebooks. I can't do that. Something's going to happen to a Chromebook. Um, the biggest struggle that I think, I know I'm having, and I think most of my colleagues at this level are, is the lack of books in their hands. And that's definitely had a very negative impact. You know, my room would have the first day of school, 10,000 books from the public library, all the characters they know and love. So they get hooked on books. Mm -hmm. Libraries were shut down. They also can't touch the same book unless I disinfect it. Um, you know, if we're doing, like, I can't do reading groups. I can't, like the thing I talked about, I can't pull a group of kids back to the table because they can't be six feet apart. I can do one-on-one, -on -one, which is what we've done a lot of. And that can be awesome. Mm -hmm. That takes a lot of time up. Yeah, um, especially because, I mean, and I meant to touch on this before we got into it. Now, what's what's your average, before all the fun, uh, what was your average class size? Um, I am very fortunate. I have been in the right place at the right time my entire career. I don't think I've ever had more than 22 or 23. 
Now okay. I can have a what, what do you think is appropriate? What do you think? Well, okay, let me ask what's appropriate and what's optimal. I don't think any more than 20 in a K2 room is um, appropriate. It's not appropriate. Honestly, I got a little excited when our governor suggested class sizes. I hoped he would make it a mandate. It was 10 to 12. Um, 15 was a sweet spot for me. You think that's about the right? Enough, uh, enough kids to age, get a big socialization, but not too many that you can focus on all of them. Correct. And if we had, ha if I had had this situation, I mean, I think I've had 19 kids total this year, kind of in and out. But if I had even just the 17 I have right now with the full-time support and I could teach the way I know is beneficial, who knows what could have happened this year? You know, my, my buddy yeah. probably could write his name. He probably could count to a hundred, you know, it's just, there's limitations and uh, there's a varying degree of caution from people. Um, there are people in this building that say it's not real still. Um, I had to look at it as you asked the question about the whole parent connection as a mom, mm -hmm. a teacher. Yeah, I'm sure there at, was all kinds could of interesting. I live, yeah, could I live with myself if something that I did or did not do brought this virus into my classroom? And um, up until about the first of the year, I would stay after school about hour, hour and a half and clean on top of what was being done. I just didn't think I could handle if something I just you know, neglected, brought it in. Uh, to my knowledge, I have one kid that was um, identified as positive and it had a huge ripple effect. It affected seven kids in quarantine. Um, so for a couple of weeks, I had nine kids and that was pretty but they sweet were able too. To stop but the yeah, cause it had to be like who sits and who lines and yeah. like everywhere we go, we had to be in a certain order. And, uh, but I, it, this could have been just the optimum year if you take away COVID. <laughs> But then I wouldn't have had an assistant. I wouldn't have had so. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Um, actually, one last question before we jump into um, your big three wishes. Uh, maybe a little bit on the lighter side. At the uh, at your first grade level, have you had any uh, had any fun stories of young love? <sighs> young love. <laughs> I currently have one little boy that is obsessed with one little girl. Yeah. Has, there, has there ever been a reciprocal or is it always one way? No, it's just, it's just annoyingly weird. I'm like, well, I'm not even talking <laughs> this one. I'm just saying, you, you no, it's just, years. no, not really. And I've taught as high as third. And um, from the first time I hear it, I shut it down. We don't do that at school. We're friends. Move on. Fair no, enough. enough. Yeah. I, just, I was just curious if you had any funny stories. Well, I've got funny stories, but not many about that. Okay, anyway. Okay, so you have just rubbed the education genie and out from the lamp he comes. Rest in peace to Robin Williams. Mm. Three wishes to make education, uh, to improve education as much as you can with three wishes. What would your three wishes be? Um, I'm going to go with the obvious number one, unlimited funding for what kids actually need. Fair enough. Number two, I'd like an explanation of why we're the enemy 
and I'd like to figure out how to get societal respect back as a whole. Who, I'm, I'm sorry, I don't, who? Oh. The enemy? Oh, it's always our fault. We were heroes in 2020 for about two months. And then it was us that didn't want to come back. Us that won't do this. Yeah, oh, okay, it's, a okay, beat, okay. it's a beat now. I oh, um, I'd, like, I'd like to understand why. And I think going along with that, this is going to be at 2.2 because I want another That's wish. Um, the fact that a warm body is not enough. I think if you're not in it for the right reasons, if you're not cutting it in any other career arena, you would lose your job. And I feel like we're so afraid of not having the bodies we keep bodies around and it's just it brings down morale it's excruciatingly frustrating and i think it feeds into the all teachers suck and that i as i get older and i've done this i'm i'm just very tired of being lumped into the all category yeah. it's like okay. when your whole staff or your whole company gets the email and it's aimed at one person over and over and you're like dude just go tell her you know I get tired of hearing how much how much of airheads millennials are and all this mm -hmm. stuff. So similar blonde. but different. Yeah. Similar but different. Yeah. Um, and my third would be the ability to immediately know a child's ability, whether that be IQ or or something like that. And immediately know without having to dig and ask and research how to best reach their needs hmm. but i okay. need to add, i need to add another one <laughs> yeah yeah no that's that's fine the genie's in a good mood oh excellent again resting from the winds um i don't understand why the rules keep changing for teacher retirement <laughs> they are trapping us into if you do your job well, after 25, 30 years, you're, you're exhausted. And I don't think it's right to force financially held overheads, force teachers to remain in this career just in order to, when they finally do retire, be able to survive. Okay, fair enough. And is that- When I, um... when I started, um, you could retire after 25 years and get an acceptable percentage of your last or your, your three highest years of income. The way I'm looking at it now, I have to go 38 years to be able to survive when I retire. And now does that, does that decision come from the superintendent level or the legislative level? Legislative, S-T-R-S, write your representatives, please. I think you'd have a lot less burnout. I think you'd have a lot less people give it a thousand percent. Um, it's hard to dole out a thousand percent for 38 years. Yeah, fair enough. So I'm tired and I'm old. <laughs> Maybe I'll, I'll, I'll add a, another little perspective wish because this is something that was gnawing in the back of my head that I meant to bring up earlier when you when you were mentioning um, you wish you wish there was more transparency in the decisions of the administration. That's one of your wishes. More. So, and I was kind of thinking, well, maybe you won't, would you want more than maybe just transparency? What if it was some kind of like um, almost similar to a shareholder situation where each teacher has one 
one vote, if you will. And, you know, the administration gets like 300 votes or whatever, but if there's right. 200, you know, what if there was some kind of, where each teacher would get some kind of, you know, what would you think of um, teachers getting more input into these decisions? Um, and how exactly, how might be a good way to do that? Well, let me counter that with a question before I answer that. So uh, from the outside, where do you see the workforce in education? Like who is, who is performing that, that field of, of whatever you want to call it? Oh, well, the teacher is doing all the work and then we have twice as many, we have administrators making twice as much. So isn't that just kind of idiotic? Yeah, no, I agree with you. Um, to have power, I, I don't even know what that would be like at all. Um, you know, we started this without the recording on because I said there are things I can't say. Yeah. And I should be able to say them. You know, I've committed 25 years of my life to this district. I've been loyal. I've worked my ass off, but got to be careful what I say. Would you say that's another another wish the teachers could? Uh, I don't know. How would you even how? I don't know. I don't even know how to say that you wish teachers had. OK, I guess the best I wish way we to had say, a voice. I wish we had, had a voice. voice. There you go. That easy. Yeah, you wish you you should have a voice. Yeah, the kids do have a voice. I mean, in in all capacities and context, you know, you have a voice. Obviously, you are you are the main voice in the classroom, but mm -hmm. you know you should have a voice with the parents. You should have a voice right. with you know, all the way up to you should you know maybe you should be having voices with legislatures. Maybe legislatures should have consultations with. And I don't want to I don't want to go too far or you know touch on the political powers of the U word. That's a whole separate issue. Um, when it comes to law and legislation and all that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think at the end of the day, um, the fact that the people who, you know, then this was one of the main things. And I think that's why you kind of jumped at the chance to be on. Um, you, I remember I texted you and asked if you were interested and you said, oh, I, talking to someone in education about education, what a crazy idea. So, you know, I like to get the actual thing. If I had some administrator on here, I would have heard well, we're doing every, you know, I would have gotten some PR speak nonsense. Right. So, yeah. and, and right. I'm nothing against those people. They didn't create the system, but right. in it, so. It is definitely trickle down. Um, I actually had a Facebook memory pop up not too long ago, and um, it was not our current governor, but the former governor. <laughs> um, and it said something along the lines of, just come spend one day with me. You know, people always joke, you know, come spend a week with a teacher. You don't need a week. Just come spend a day with me. You know, it, it kind of parallels to we have people making decisions. I have a, I have a child who, who has needs that are not being met. And the decision of what this child needs is being made on somebody who hasn't stepped foot in this building all year. Okay. So it's not just power. It would be like professional respect. No, and I, that's, once again, this is what I'm, I'm constantly railing against it. I mean, and you made the excellent point, who's actually doing the work. The administrators, other than, you know, insurance companies or some very obtuse, you know, consult consultations, all of which are industries that will be destroyed by AI, mm -hmm. um, they're never the ones doing the work, <laughs> but they're somehow always the ones getting the money. 
Well, I, I do just, you know, in case you get a million followers and my current, you know, evaluator sees this, I will honestly say I have never worked for a principal that I respect as much as my current boss. Um, there's nothing she would ask us to do that she wouldn't do herself. Perfect example. Uh, we opened new buildings. They were not ready. There is mud everywhere. We're trying to have an open house community news, whatever. She's out there with a push broom cleaning mud. Um, and as you go up the ladder, your hands are tied. Her hands are tied. It, it, it's just, it's a, it's a top-down problem. Yeah. yeah. Um, would you say even it's, um, it goes all the way up to the Department of Education at the federal level? Do you think, well, I mean, I know there's some people who would want to completely eliminate the Department of Education. Do you, you know, you would rather- No, you have, you have to have some set some type of but it needs body. drastic reform in your opinion yes and and again not a religious woman but my prayers are we have a first lady can she do something she has she has a platform that could change our country we'll see what happens well i mean you saw what happened when they just tried to make the food a little bit healthier so yep once again i'm, I'm trying not to go down that rabbit hole too much <laughs> Oh, totally random though. My mom doesn't agree. Doesn't Mike DeWine kind of look like a really old Matthew Broderick? Uh, totally. Yeah, thank you. And thank his main you. his main interpreter looks like, and you're probably gonna have to Google this, the church lady from Saturday Night Live. Google it. It was his little interpreter. Who, by the way, is the only deaf interpreter in the state of Ohio. Yeah, that was fascinating to me. Church lady, yes, I know. Oh, uh, yeah, that's before. I'd say it's before my time watching SNL, but I never really watched SNL. It is probably long ago, but yeah. No, he is a shriveled up <laughs> Matthew Broderick, and his hearing impaired interpreter is the church lady from Saturday Night Live. All right. Well, I always like to finish up on, I have a very long list of uh, various introspective questions. I've started narrowing them down. Um, to um, selecting ones beforehand so that we don't keep getting, because I've noticed that people seem to pick the same numbers when you say pick one to 100, it's always 17, 23, seven, 12. So I've started picking ones out that haven't been done. So if you would do me a favor and pick a number one through 10. Can I, I'll be a first grader, 84, um, seven. Seven, all right, which corresponds to question 26, which is? Do I have the ability to veto one if I don't like it? If you want, yeah. Uh, I mean, this one's actually pretty short one, so we might have time for another one. Um, would you be immortal if you could? Why or why not? In my current state, no. If I could go back in time and find like the optimal me, perhaps. Hmm. Could you, could you, uh, expand on that a bit um maybe more more I'm gonna need the mental of yourself. i don't well and that's an answer based on where i am right this moment which is a very stressful time um i don't feel i am exactly who i should be right now in all aspects of my life like i need to be a better teacher i still need to be a better teacher better wife better mother. Had, but if you had infinite amount of time, couldn't you develop yourself into that person? You wouldn't need to be that person already when you became immortal. If you were immortal, you have infinite time. That's so if true. you have infinite time, 
you don't need to, you have all the time to become the you you want to be. But if I was that person in the past, it'd be a lot less work. Sure. And I could just coast. Sure. Well, I, I mean, that's a very good question. Yes and no. There you go. Well, I mean, there's a lot of aspects to it. There's, there's yeah. also the, um, I call it the Tom Hanks clean mile problem where you have to watch everyone. So that's a whole, um, I originally was more on the no, I, you know, that just after, you know, life should only be so long. And after that, it's just going to be kind of like weird, but then I just, you know, I don't know. I just kind of thought about the amount of knowledge and I don't know. I just, there's so many books and movies and all that stuff. There's enough, I don't know. There's enough stuff that you could, you know, well, more time to make change too. Well, that too. Um, yeah, that too. Um, and of course, you know, materials, material goods would mean nothing to someone who's immortal. Um, so it would just it'll be all about knowledge and personal connections. And I think um, an infinite life of knowledge and personal connections where materialism doesn't matter sounds honestly a little bit like heaven to me, but the, uh, the actualities of being immortal would probably suck. You know? Probably because you'd sit and watch just get, everybody else die. Yeah, you can never, you can never get like super close. And I mean, there's like myths about you know these kind of things too, where you know eventually they, the the person just you know they they're kind to everyone, but they don't. I don't know. You, they reach a certain level of detachment that is often talked about in um, a lot of spiritual areas. Of reaching, mm -hmm. I don't know, um, yeah. for lack of better wording, a, a oneness. So. Maybe with, I think with enough, being immortal, you obviously have just about infinite time. So I think with enough time, you can find, you could get yourself to a place where you could be comfortable being eternal. But then that would change with everything changing around you. No, no, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. I mean, of course, everything's open to change, but yeah. you know, then you have the question, well, are you there after every other human is extinct and you're the last person on earth? What happens when the sun blows up? Are you still there? Anyway, and then, and then if the tree falls in the woods, do you hear it? <laughs> exactly, exactly. All right, like I said, that was a bit of a short one. So, would you mind? You want to pick one more for me? Um, three. How will the human species go extinct? Idiocracy. You know, it's kind of funny. I got um kind of a similar answer from the last person I uh, asked that to. Um, so you think it'll just, you, know, you think we'll destroy ourselves before any external thing happens to us? Yeah, I think selfishness, greed, egocentris, egocent, you know what I mean? Egocentrism. Thank you. Mm -hmm. um, it's a lot of syllables for first grade teacher. Um, yeah, I think, I think it will ultimately wear down and destroy it. Okay, so you think that'll happen before, you know, some... Aliens? Me, well, I think the most likely... Um, near-term destruction um, that wouldn't happen via humanity would be like if some meteor happened to hit us or something like that, some extremely uh, black swan event. But in general... Like COVID? Oh, that, well, no, that didn't even... I mean, that was... I mean, even if we had like a real... Not to downplay COVID, but if we had a really deadly, deadly plague, that wouldn't kill us. It would, even if it wiped out only 75%, we would bounce back probably stronger than ever. I'm not going to make, I'm not trying to be Thanos over here, but 
you know what I, but you know it, it wouldn't extinct us you know things that extinct humanity the, it has to go like i don't know like it has to totally de destroy the climate or make it unlivable because as long as humans remain we'll always you know come back and although the other the other um argument i got is that we will just evolve basically humans will evolve into something that are no longer humans and that's how humans will no longer exist mm. so but i think most people agree with you it's most likely that we destroy ourselves well and then i think about the whole meteor thing i, I would find it kind of comforting to know that like everybody was gone yeah. at the same time you wouldn't have to miss you wouldn't have to grieve because y'all are gone would you want them to tell us the media is coming? I, with my personality and the way I'm wired, I would like a window. I would like to know it's between so I could prepare what I felt I needed to prepare before the possibility was coming. So if you said it's going to happen in March, just tell me in January so I can fulfill what I feel like I need to fulfill. And then when it happens, it happens. But that sounds like it's going to be three months of the purge. Well, you didn't say everyone would know. You asked if I wanted okay. to. Okay. All right. Let me let me rephrase <laughs> that. Would should they blast it on the news that this thing's going to hit in a week and we'll? Oh God, no! It just needs to happen. Okay. All right. That was my question. <laughs> no, take them out. Move on. No, if I got to know and only me. <laughs> okay. Yeah, but you wouldn't want everyone to know that it was. No, oh, just me. Oh, that would be. Yeah, like I said, no, that would just be that would that would just make it go faster and you wouldn't have to wait for the meteor. Reminds me a little bit of the um now I'm thinking of the Simpsons movie of all things. <laughs> anyway, I want to wrap up here because I know you have some exciting stuff to get back to. I do. Um make some copies. Uh, I really appreciate you coming on and taking the time out um on a working Saturday. I know what it feels like. I was, I was like not to... sure about this. I did not know how it was going to go, but it went very well. I'm I'm glad. Yeah, I'm glad. And you know, uh, I, I think hopefully this will, you know, I like to to get the perspective of people who actually know what they're talking about. But you know, so hopefully maybe this will open an eye or two, and maybe we'll see some people, um, a, a few more people, not blaming teachers and giving them the credit they deserve, even if it's just. Even if we just convince a couple people, I'd say we did a good job here. Even if you just convince one person of anything, it, it's it's a start. Well, I thought it was generally informative and just entertaining in general. I think it's, a, I think it's an interesting conversation, just education <laughs> and, you know, what are the pitfalls we're facing and stuff from someone who actually has seen it change over 25 years. And then I also kind of want to, I'm hoping to get um, some of my fraternity brothers who have been teaching like maybe just two, three years and maybe get their perspective to compare and contrast as someone who hasn't necessarily seen everything that you've seen. Right. But, but then they've also, you know, they went through the education system that you taught. They saw it from the student perspective. So that might be an interesting- And thing. what I hear is you old. <laughs> well, no, no, no. But like, so you no, have I 25 it. years of teaching and then he's, you know, He's done a couple years of teaching, but he also spent a lot of time learning in that teaching environment that you, Correct. you know, you didn't. Okay, you understand what I'm saying. I gotcha. Anyway, I do appreciate uh, you taking the time. I appreciate the conversation and the insights. Um, and I appreciate your courage. <laughs> right, anyway, um, 
I will talk, we will obviously, we'll, we'll talk plenty um, about personal stuff that I'm not going to air on the podcast here. But uh, okay. once again, thank you to Miss Carrie Gregory, teaching powerhouse educational. Um, I don't know. If, I, don't know about, I don't know about that, but I, I try. That's all I can say. I try. Well, I mean, that's really all we can ask of you and if you do that. So. All right. Thank you so much. This has been another episode of DP to the brain. And this is uh, Mrs. Carrie Gregory. Would you like to maybe put out one last one last thought to the people? You know, there are tons of careers out there that teachers teach them all. Be kind to us, please. Very nice to end it on. All right. Thank you so much. And make sure you tune in to DP to the brain for continued interesting discussions with um, knowledgeable people. Thank you all for listening.